cliffcentral.com We're going to cry, laugh and love. And we're going to do it together. The Life with Libang podcast. Correct. No lies detected whatsoever. The truth has been revealed. It is, of course, a life with Libang brought to you by cliffcentral.com. My name is Libang Kosana and I am warm. I am comfortable. I am in my favorite seat. It's what I call the hot seat because it gets hot up in here. Every single week, same time, same place, we come together and we we just do our thing. You know, we connect, we bond and we speak about like a wide array of things. And usually I will bring somebody into studio to join me, you know, so that we can get some experts up in here. So that we can have, um, you know, a difference in opinion from time to time. You know, we we all have different experiences. So most of the time you'll find that I'll have a guest in the studio. But every other month, my God-sent producer, Tepo, will decide, hey, why not do a solo podcast? And... I'm always like, okay, whatever you want, I do as you say, your wish is my command. Literally, that's how it works around here. So that is what is happening today. We decided we're actually going to do a solo podcast because we haven't done one in a while. I think we've been in quite an exciting and upbeat period of the show where we were just doing so well and having so much fun and really interviewing some amazing, mind-blowing people who've had such rich experiences in life and had such great stories that we just wanted to share all of them. We just wanted to bring everybody onto Life with Lebang, everybody that, uh, you know, that we believed in. And as you can imagine, that list of people is endless. Uh, but sometimes it's good to just kind of stop the clocks, you know, hit refresh, look around, smell the flowers, smell the roses. And I think that's what we're going to do today is we're just going to hone it back a bit and just hang out one-on-one, just me and you. And dive into a topic which may not affect everyone, but if it does affect you, then I would like to say you are in the right place at the right time because this month is Mental Health Awareness Month. almost said it wrong. October is Mental Health Awareness Month. And, you know, that obviously means this is some time that we put aside to just speak on the effects of mental health, really to raise the awareness. In simple terms, it's just to raise awareness on mental health, which is something traditionally that was ignored. It truly was ignored. Um, you know, I know growing up in, a, in an African household, mental health was just... Uh, non-existent mental health awareness was non-existent it was almost uh if you complained about your mental health or you brought up your mental health you know you were told you were seeking attention or you were told you need to go to church to take out the demons many 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 things that i now look back and realize that wow we have evolved a lot and we've come far from the way we used to think so it only felt right for us to speak on one part of mental health, which is anxiety, which affects a lot of people, like I said earlier. It may not affect everyone, but it is normal to have anxiety in certain situations. And some parents have to raise 
children who suffer from anxiety. Some children suffer from anxiety and grow up to become adults that suffer from anxiety. So it is a very layered thing, which I do want to dive into today. But most importantly, I want to speak on it and find ways to help you and ways that you can help your children who are suffering from anxiety um, at such young ages. So let's define mental health. I mean, if I think about, you know, and social media is, is social media is social media can be very tricky sometimes. And there was, I think a time where using the term mental health sort of became a social media tactic. It became something that would, that people would do uh, for fashion, you know, just for fun or just to seek out attention or whatever the case is, which was unfortunate for people who truly were suffering mentally. And their, their mental health was, you know, being battered by certain situations. And it was unfortunate because, again, to some people this is real, but some people weren't using it for real. So let's define mental health, right? So mental health is not simply the absence of mental illness. It's categorized by living life to the fullest and prioritizing your psychological, emotional, and social well-being. So like I said, October in South Africa, that's when we observe mental health and, you know, World Mental Health Day is on the 10th. So I think this is the right time to ask yourself truly, 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 am I doing okay? Am I, am I all right? We often hear people will say, you know, you must check on your, your friends, check on your strong friends, your friends that are always coming through for everyone and your friends that are always smiling, your friends that are always happy, who seemingly have their things together and seemingly have life sorted out, check on those friends because maybe that's not always the case. I say that's all good and well, but how often do we check on ourselves? Or are we also guilty of just kind of trucking away and just going and just chasing life without really stopping in to see like mentally, am I right? You wake up in the morning and you go to gym. Your physical health is your priority. You eat very, very well. You ensure that you're eating well. Again, your physical health is important to you. That's your physical health, your physical well-being. Good for you. But how are you checking on your mental health? How are you checking in on yourself in that area to see if you're actually okay? A broader definition of health includes mental health and well-being, which is the mind and the body. Essentially, it means that those two things are no longer split. While we are sensitized to looking after our physical health, like I said, eating correctly, exercising, just a balanced lifestyle, we as humans often do neglect looking after our mental health as part of a regular self-care pro, uh, program. So let's talk about anxiety uh, because anxiety also has like different forms and shapes and sizes that it can show itself. And like I said, having anxiety at some or other point is never a bad thing. It's not and it's not uncommon to experience anxiety from time to time. I think really the trick is how you deal with that anxiety and how long you allow it to remain. Anxiety is so temporary. It's meant to be temporary. It's, you know, it's there for the moment and then it, it will pass. 
unless you allow it to stay. So what is anxiety? Anxiety is your body's natural response to stress. It refers to the feeling of fear or nervousness nervousness about what's about to come. So if you are about to say a big speech, you know, you'll get like, you know, your tummy will start tingling inside. There'll be like these like little butterflies, for example. Uh, if you're about to make a big life decision, if you're moving to a new apartment, if you're about to get married, if it's your first day of school, if you're, take, if you're writing a test, if you're starting a new job, if you've got matters and problems that you're facing at work. These are just some examples of how anxiety can say, knock, knock, here I am. And in as much as this anxiety isn't pleasant all the time, it's temporary and it's okay. It's normal. At some other point, we will all experience anxiety on this level that I've just, that I've just described. However, when it comes to children, it's a little bit different, right? So with kids, anxiety disorders can cause extreme fear and worry, changes in a child's behavior, changes in a child's sleeping, eating, or their moods. Now, this is why it is so vital to be present in your child's life so that you can pick up on these changes. If you're seeing that, no, my child is maybe eating less, you know, that's a cry for help. Because sometimes when your children can't use words to articulate their feelings, trust me, the actions will do the talking. You'll see by their behavior. If your child is maybe a little bit more moody, less happy and excited to do the things that they previously enjoyed doing, that's obviously, you know, a question mark. It's something for you to query. So again, the idea is to know your child so well that if you suspect that your child is suffering from anxiety, it will be something that you can pick up on quite quickly and therefore help your child. That is like the best way that one can describe anxiety like within children. And remember that in some cases, you will never really know what is causing this anxiety, especially with kids. Because depending on the age of your child, if your child is still in the ECD phase, which is like from like birth till seven, you know, they won't necessarily have the vocabulary to articulate what's, what they're experiencing. If your child is, you know, going to school and is in a different environment amongst friends and teachers, etc., they may be experiencing anxiety, which can be caused by that environment or by people in that environment. So that when they come home, they're like, phew, I'm finally not at school where I have to deal with such and such a thing or such and such a person. So I can be myself. So there are cases where you won't even be able to pick up on that because when they're at home, they behave in one way. And when they're at school, that's when the anxiety, you know, exists and that's when it hits them. So the best way is just to constantly keep in contact with your child every single day. Speak to them, get a grip on how their day was, how they're feeling. If your child isn't able to speak it, actions. Look at how they are eating. Look at how they are sleeping. Look at their general behavior patterns. And if you notice a change, then... That is when you start to, you know, question and see how can you help your child. 
get out of this anxiety that they are experiencing. So there's also different kinds of anxiety uh, disorders that kids and teens will experience. So there's generalized anxiety disorder, separation anxiety disorder, of which I know a little bit too well. There's social anxiety disorder, there's panic disorder, there's selective and specific. So there's a lot, but I'll speak about the most popular ones, starting with generalized anxiety disorder. This is the one that causes kids to worry like almost every day. And about like a lot of things, like little things, you know, kids will worry about things like homework, tests, making mistakes, you know, a lot of uh, kids that suffer this kind of anxiety, which is GAD, they are, they lack confidence in themselves and sadly will start to question everything, you know, but some kids worry more, some kids worry less. But also these kids, you'll find that they also worry over the things that their parents might not, you know, expect would even cause worry. So, for example, you know, they might worry about things like lunchtime, recess, birthday parties, playtime with friends, just kid stuff, you know. And these kids will worry about things beyond that, like war and the weather and their future and safety and loneliness. And you realize that, okay, cool, my child is spending a of time worrying about things that they maybe shouldn't worry about. And this is where I realized that out of my two sons, I've got two sons and three daughters, out of my two sons, one of them definitely suffers from anxiety. Because the questions weren't, you know, oh, I wonder what we're going to have for lunch. He asks about every little intricate detail of how the household operates. Who's taking me to school today? Okay, are you going to the office today? Is dad going to the office today? Okay, I wonder who's going to fetch me. What time are you guys going to fetch me? Who's fetching me today? So if you guys aren't there, who's going to be? Literally, and I'm not even exaggerating, exactly like that. Things that like truly, truly he shouldn't be worrying about on that level. Um, Things that aren't even a part of the household in some cases that are happening outside that he really has no business worrying about. But for him... He is worried. It's his concern. Mom, that truck that's driving past us, what happens if that truck stops suddenly? Things almost making up, you know, um, just like, I guess it was like, a, a, he's got a bit of a wild imagination <laughs> is one way that I can put it. And that's when I started noticing that uh, something is up um, and I should probably try and get him some help. And it wasn't an easy realization to get to. But again, how I noticed was that it was that change in behavior where he would start to question his choices and the conversations we'd have would really worry me. If anything, I'd get anxiety just by talking to him because I'd be like, sure, wow, actually, I never thought about that. Does that make me a bad mom? So having JD can really make it hard for kids to focus in school. Another thing that my son suffers from, focusing in school becomes very difficult because your, you know, your mind is it's kind of racing and it's questioning all the things of the world and the things that are happening around you. Because with JD, there is almost always worry on a child's mind. It makes it hard for kids to relax, just to have fun, to eat well, or even just to fall asleep at night, you know? And unfortunately, some kids may miss many days of school because this worry, if it gets to a level that is hectic, it can make them feel sick, it can make them feel afraid, or generally they just feel tired. So it's it's not easy but I think once you identify that in your child, then the ease begins because you're able to be there for them and to assist them and kind of support them 
during their journey. Let's talk a bit about separation anxiety. Now, again, separation anxiety is another one that I know very well because my three daughters are all under three and they're still very, very small. And it's normal for babies and very young kids to feel anxious the first times that they're apart from their parents. But as soon as they get used to being with like a grandparent, a babysitter or a teacher, then they start to feel at home or when they go to daycare or school. But it does take some time. As you know, you know, the bonding process begins while the child is still in the mother's stomach. That's that's when the bonding process actually begins. And then when the child, after the nine-month baking process, the child is here with us on earth, the birth uh, uh, pr- process has happened, that child is so like linked to you. It's like not even funny and not even just to you as the mother, but to you as the father as well, because the child has also been bonding with you. If you as the father have been having conversations with the baby, singing to the baby, remember that the child's ears develop quite early on in, you know, within the, within the stomach. So they already can pick up, Oh, that's dad's voice. Or that's another person's voice who is a part of my life. So, I've noticed with my kids, my daughter specifically, they are literally attached to us like bubble gum. And at any point where I need to leave the house to go to work, you're, it's tears. It's literal tears. It's where you're going. Can I come with you? And it's like, obviously, no, you, you can't come with me. You know, you have to stay home or you have to go to crash or whatever. But it takes a while for kids to accept that my parents need to be away from me, even if it's just for a few hours. And, you know, dare I say that even as we grow into our big ages, if we are blessed enough to still have our parents with us alive, there's still that bond that I don't know if there's a scientific term for. You know, I, I suspect that there is, but there's, there's this bond and connection that we will always have to our parents. I mean, I'm 33 years old, but when I go to my mom's house to visit her, I literally sit on her lap. I sit on a lap and I have conversations with, I just become a child again. Same goes with my father. And there's just this bond that naturally will always be connected to each other because I know that you are the two people that brought me here. And regardless of what has happened in between that, I can't change how, how much, you know, how I feel inside of me when, when I'm with you two. So, Over the years, separation anxiety does get easier. It does go away. But that doesn't mean that kids, you know, won't experience it even from such a young age, from as little as one and two. So eventually kids will outgrow it. Um, As they get older, it'll go away. But there are some kids that don't outgrow separation anxiety and it can lead to them being sick. It leads to them being tired all the time. And again, just not not being able to, in inverted commas, live a normal kid life. You know, some you'll see in movies um, when the child is going to school for the first time, they don't want to go inside. They want to cling to their parents, especially like nursery school. You know, they cry. They refuse to go inside. If there's like sleepovers and play dates, they're not interested. They want to be at home 24-7 with their parents, which essentially is impossible. But some kids are so attached to their parents, that it can turn into the separation anxiety that they suffer from constantly. And again, it's pretty normal to experience that, but it's also normal to outgrow it. It only becomes a bit of a a matter when 
a child does not outgrow it. So again, just pay attention to your kids. Social phobia, aka social anxiety disorder. Now with social phobia, kids, you know, they tend to feel too afraid um, of what others think or what others will say. So they find themselves also being afraid that they might do or say something embarrassing. You know, they worry they might sound or look too weird. And you know how kids are. Kids like sometimes kids just kids overthink things within being a child. It's 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 pretty weird. You know, they don't like to be some kids don't like to be the center of attention. You know, they don't they don't want others to notice them. They'd rather just kind of blend into the backgrounds. So they'll avoid things like raising their hands in class. If your child suffers from social anxiety disorder, the, these are some of the things that you'll start to see is that, you know, if my child is in class and the teacher says, okay, kids, put your hand up if ABC and your child is ABC, they'll still be scared to put their hand up because of that social anxiety disorder. It's kind of like an overthinking of the social environment around you. So like the people around you, fellow classmates, et cetera, et cetera. You know, um, they might freeze or panic if they're doing a speech. They really struggle with things like that. And with social phobia, like a class presentation or a group activity with a classmate can cause extreme fear. Now, I personally never suffered from that, as you can tell. Like all my life, I've kind of been like this, just blah, 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 which is great. But I definitely grew up around kids who did struggle with this particular thing. And it's not something that they are doing to themselves. It's it's just something that they can't move past. They're just too scared to either speak up or voice their opinion or put their hand up in class and answer a question or take the lead in certain situations. And that's just who they are. And that's just the social anxiety disorder screaming. And sadly, you know, some of the disadvantages of this is that, you know, having a social phobia can cause kids just to not want to be at school, to not want to hang out with friends. You know, they just want to be at home, cooped up in their bed and not really have to talk to anyone. And this isn't age dependent. This is like in general. You'll you'll try to avoid situations that will require you to speak and engage in conversation and that kind of thing. You know, some kids, you know, they'll say, oh, my body's too tired or they will physically feel sick as well if it gets pretty hectic. They may feel their heart starting to race or they may feel short of breath. They may feel jumpy. You know, they, maybe they feel that they can't sit still. They may feel like their face is too hot or they're blushing a lot or they may feel shaky or lightheaded. So this some forms of anxiety translate into the physical if not dealt with early on. And by that time, it's too late. It's like, well, this is a part of the, who you are. And some kids ident make it their identity. You know, like, oh, I've got this anxiety. That's just who I am. I'm this identity-stricken child. And boom, this is me. Take it, take it or leave it, world. You know, they don't try to recover at any point because it becomes such a big part of their identity if it's not dealt with early on. Another different type of anxiety, panic disorder. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody having like an anxiety attack or if you've ever had an anxiety attack. That thing will humble you. It's real. It's kind of scary. If you don't know what it looks like, you won't be able to identify what it is. It'll just like be a bit strange to you if you are witnessing somebody having an anxiety attack in front of you because anxiety attacks are sudden. 
they cause overwhelming physical symptoms such as you know feeling shaky or jittery trembling you know your heartbeat do, 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 shortness of breath and they can happen anytime and they are quite common in teenagers so again because it visually isn't this big it's not like having a fit when somebody's having a fit you can see okay cool this person is not present in the body and they are having a fit but when someone's having an anxiety attack they they are still there but they're just not in control is like how i can describe it best and it causes a lot of like you know angst and worry like something is visibly wrong but you won't know how to pinpoint it and that is the point where you know it's important to be aware of your i don't want to say condition but it's important to be self-aware know yourself know that from time to time you do get these attacks and of course it's not ideal however it is what it is so that you know how to get through it there's nothing worse than having a panic attack and then like almost just being by yourself alone and maybe not even knowing that you suffer from panic disorder and that's the type of anxiety you suffer from again ask yourself often am i okay am i doing all right mentally the situation that i've just experienced how did i respond to it did it did i learn from it or did it make me worse am i feeling better about it or am i feeling worse ask yourselves yourself these questions so there's a range of like different types of anxiety that your child could experience or that you could experience but here's some signs and symptoms that you can look out for um parents teachers guardians adults you know anybody that has kids in their lives these are some of the things that you can look out for um if you suspect that your child is overly anxious for example again you know your child might cling on to you might miss school often might cry for no reason you know they might act scared or upset or refuse to talk or do things kids and teens with with anxiety also feel symptoms that others can't see so it can make them feel afraid worried or nervous and most times they won't even want to articulate that because they can't really pinpoint what the cause of this is it can also affect their bodies they might feel shaky jittery short of breath they may feel what we call butterflies in their stomach you know get a little bit flustered and hot they may get a dry mouth or even again that heartbeat grrr. if that heartbeat is just like all over the show yes yeah you know what time it is so these symptoms of anxiety are the result of the fight or flight response right and this is like your body's normal response to danger or like worry right so it triggers the release of natural chemicals in the body and these chemicals prepare us to deal with real danger and if this happens again it's normal it's okay you are not broken you don't need fixing you're just experiencing something that many others before have experienced now this response is meant to protect us from danger but with anxiety disorders the fight or flight response is overreactive okay and it happens where sometimes there's actually no real danger that's kind of how you can tell the difference if you get butterflies or you get a little bit nervous about doing something hectic sure that's fine but if it happens like over the top 
then it's like, huh, okay, something's definitely going on, you know? So in younger children, when young children feel anxious, they can't always understand or express what they're feeling. Remember, like I said, like some younger kids, you'll just see it with their actions, you know? They become irritable, tearful. They have uh, trouble sleeping. They may wake up in the middle of the night. They may start wetting their beds or they could be having bad dreams. So I urge you, mom, dad at home, if you're listening to this or if you're watching this on YouTube, know your child, understand your child, talk to your child, watch their behavior. In most cases, you'll be able to tell that, oh, okay, this is what's currently happening. But in the cases where you're unsure, get some help, get some assistance, just so you can be able to support your child. Now, if you have older children, you may notice that they perhaps lack uh, lack confidence to try new things, or maybe they just seem unable to face the simple everyday challenges. Um, They may find it hard to concentrate. They may have problems eating or sleeping. They could have these angry outbursts. You know, they have a lot of negative thoughts, or they keep thinking that bad things are going to happen. So they'll start avoiding these everyday activities like going to school, seeing their friends, being out in public spaces, just doing things that kids are supposed to do, you know. And at that point, that's when you can definitely intervene and say, hey, my child, let's get you some help. You know, it's it, it can't be fun to be a teenager who's just having negative thoughts. And remember how easy it is for, you know, our kids to get exposed to all sorts of things because of the internet and amongst other things, of course. But the the generation that our kids are growing in now is a digital generation. They are growing up with their cell phones and their devices as like standard, mandatory, everyday things that they use on the daily. And that has its risks that also has its risks. It comes with being exposed to other people's thoughts, other people's feelings, and other people's views on the world, which most times are not positive. So what causes anxiety disorders? Now, there's several things that that play a role in causing the overreactive fight or flight thing that happens in anxiety disorders. Now, the first thing is that it's genetics. Sometimes it's just genetics. It's not you. It is what it is. Like, you can't help it. You know, a child who has a family member with an anxiety order is more likely to also have one as well. Kids may inherit these genes and make them prone to anxiety. So sometimes it's just genetics. And it's okay if that's the case. If you have a close relative with anxiety and your change is developing, you know, it's chances are between two to six times higher that you don't get anxiety. So your risk is even higher if you have, for example, an identical twin that's got anxiety. It could happen, but if it does, it's not the end of the world. Another way is brain chemistry. Now, genes help direct the way that brain chemicals work. So if specific brain chemicals are in short supply or maybe they're not working well, that can cause anxiety. So individuals with an anxiety disorder experience symptoms in new or unfamiliar situations. So for example, if a person uh, experiences a situational anxiety due to an important job interview or like a first date or something, that 
kind of anxiety could stem from that. Other examples are public speaking, auditions, meeting new people, traveling away from home. There are many situations that will cause you anxiety. So remember with situations, sometimes you're in control, sometimes you're not. But if a situation is happening and that anxiety arises, it's most likely situational anxiety. That's just you know, the brain chemistry doesn't mean it's hereditary. It doesn't mean, you know, it's an ongoing thing. It could just be for that situation, that moment in that time. Right. Hope that makes sense. And then there's life situations, right? These are things that can happen in a child's life that can be stressful and too difficult to, to deal with uh, loss, serious illness, death of a loved one, violence or abuse. All of these things can lead to some kids becoming overly anxious, which is pretty straightforward. Now, things that happen in a child's life, you know, not all children are are able to deal with things. In fact, I'm not even going to pin that on children. I'm going to say people. People, including me, including you even. We're not all able to deal with loss and abuse and violence and things that just, life things. You know, there's life situations where you're like, yo, damn. But that's life showing you that life is life and you're not always going to be in control of things. And some of those situations, those life situations, can cause anxiety. Now, the last one is learned behaviors. Growing up in a family where others are fearful or anxious, you know, can also teach, teach in inverted commas, a child to be afraid too. Because like I say almost every week on the show, kids do what they see not as they are told. So kids tend to maybe copy the reactions and the behaviors of of those around them. And if if they are seeing that the people around them that they're growing up around are responding in an overly anxious, overly fight or flight um, response or manner, then for them that'll be the normal thing to do that. Oh, okay, cool. So Let's all just freak out, you know, and the child will do that. So there are multiple things that can cause uh, anxiety and there's an array of different types of anxiety as well. So let's look at some of the statistics. And, you know, I love me a good stat because that will give us perspective on truly the brevity of some of these matters that we discuss here on Life with Lebang. So the latest stats which show that two-thirds of children in South Africa, that's like 63%, who live in poverty, frequently in environments where the stress of material insecurity is made worse by inadequate services, discrimination, and violence, that's how many children are suffering with anxiety. 63% of kids who are living under the poverty line in South Africa, for obvious reasons. That that should shock you. If it doesn't shock you, just double check if you still have a pulse. <laughs> Those numbers are wild. Meanwhile, 39% of children that are actually living below the poverty line where food insecurity further intensifies the pressures and conflict within the home are suffering from anxiety. So 63% of children in South Africa who are living in poverty those, that's the number of kids struggling with anxiety. And 39% of kids below the poverty line suffer from food insecurities and other things. That's how many kids. So additionally, nearly one in two children 
in South Africa, that's 42% have experienced violence, which includes physical violence, which includes sexual abuse. All of this plays a role in the anxiety that these children end up growing up with. This is scary. 99% of children in the birth to 30, from birth till age 30 study undertaken in Soweto, experiencing or witnessing some form of violence in their homes, schools, or community, suffer from anxiety. That's why so much emphasis is placed on, you know, really ensuring that the environments that we are bringing our children into are safe, are value-adding, are not dangerous, because those consequences are ongoing. Those consequences are sometimes you don't even, like sometimes you don't even see the consequences of your actions right now. Those consequences, you'll only see them 30 years down the line when you become a parent and you're suffering, like, and you are, are not okay. And you wonder, like, why am I not okay? That time you're not okay because of something that happened 30 years ago in your community or at school, in your household. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot so much so that sometimes it becomes a problem, particularly in children. So when exactly does anxiety become a problem for children? It becomes a problem when it starts to get in the way of their everyday life, right? If you go into school and it's exam time, you know, all children will be anxious, which is granted. But some may be so anxious that they don't even manage to get out of bed that morning and they can't even get in the car and go to school. And again, it's not because they are just doing it. It's because they are so anxious and are afraid of this test that they need to write. And if your everyday life is starting to get affected, that's when anxiety becomes a problem. Severe anxiety like this can harm a child's mental health and their emotional well-being, which affects their self-esteem and eventually it affects their confidence. They may even become withdrawn and go to great lengths just to avoid things, avoid situations, avoid people, avoid whatever could possibly make them feel even the tiny, teeny, teeny weeniest but anxious because they just don't want to deal with it. They cannot deal with it. Not that they don't, they just can't. Physically, they can't. Mentally, they can't. Emotionally, the thought of being in, in class is just like, oh, the thought of it. It brings them pain. That is when truly anxiety has become a problem. So this is the part of the show where we find solutions because you know how important that is to me. It's okay for us to unpack a problem. It's important to identify the problem, know what it is, you know, unpack the definition and some examples and all of that jazz. However, the healing, the healing is such an important, it's an important part of the process as well. What do we do with all this anxiety? How can I ease my child's anxiety as a parent? I don't want them to continue living this overly scared, chaotic life. I want them to be okay. How can I help them? Step one, right? 
is for you to recognize those signs of anxiety. Help your child to recognize that, oh, there's a possibility that you may be suffering from anxiety. Encourage your child to manage their anxiety and ask for help when they need it. You need to become the support structure fully, fully, fully. By now, you and your child should be in a, in a, in a good, strong, you should have a good, strong relationship where you guys trust each other and you're open to each other. Your child should be able to trust you and say, I need help. Dad, I need help. Mom, I need help. Children of all ages find routines reassuring. So try to stick to regular daily routines where possible. I always say this. Kids need structure. Always. It's like a song. I may as well write a song. Kids need structure. Kids struggle in an environment that has no structure. If kids are going all over the show because parents are going all over the show and you guys are all over the place, it will affect the child. Their confidence will, will just decrease. They'll be more anxious. Kids need structure. Try to stick to a regular routine as best as possible. If your child is anxious because of distressing events, such as, you know, separation, bereavement, whatever can happen, look for books or films that'll help them to understand their feelings. I like this one because books, important, reading, information, sit with your child and read up on some of the things that they're experiencing so that they can also better understand what is currently happening. If you know that, okay, there's a big change that's about to happen, like we're moving house or, you know, you have to move schools for whatever reason, you have to prepare your child for that. Sit them down and talk to them about what's about to happen and why it's about to happen. You can't throw them into the deep end about certain things, especially things that are this big that are going to affect their daily happenings. You have to prepare them for this. For instance, as you may or may not know, most of this year I've been, you know, in a bit of a court battle with my son's father. And it's been a horrendous experience. It has not been pleasant at all. However, at the end of it, the agreement that we came to was that after my son has been living with me single-handedly for nine years with me and my husband, his biological father will now spend two weeks with him in a month and he'll spend the other two weeks with us at home. I had to prepare my son for that in advance. I had to sit him down and say, here's what I'm thinking. How do you feel about staying at your father's place for two weeks in a month and then spending the other two weeks with me here? And he asked, okay, why? What is the reason? Okay, cool. And I walked him through the entire thing so that when the day came for him to leave home for two weeks, he was prepared for that. I didn't just throw him into the deep end. He knew that, mom, okay, I'll see you in another two weeks because I'm about to go spend these two weeks with my father. And he, as a result, he was more prepared for those changes. You have to include your children in your thinking or if anything in, you know, just involve them in the discussion of some of these things that are going to affect them directly, regardless of how old they are. Don't ever lie to your kids and say, oh, you know, it's just a quick one and two thing. Get them involved. Tell them the full truth. Kids are smarter than we think is what I've realized. 
You as a parent as well, try not to become overprotective or anxious yourself because they'll see you behave like that and then they'll adopt that behavior. Again, check in on yourself. How am I doing mentally? Am I okay? Practice simple relaxation techniques with your child, such as taking three deep, slow breaths, breathing in for a count. I always, my daughters, when I, when I put them to bed at night, I'll read them a book. After I read them a book, we'll say a prayer. After we say a prayer, we do deep breaths. We do three deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. Now, they have no cooking clue why we are breathing in and out, but I know why I'm teaching this to them so young because I always want them to be able to have that in their, um, you know, in their their mind as options of things to do whenever I'm feeling stressed or in a situation that makes me uncomfortable or whatever they're experiencing. They must be able to stop. It helps so much. Distraction can be helpful for younger children. Mom and dad, for example, if they're anxious about going to nursery school, play games with them on the way there. You know, um, we just find something that will distract them pretty much until you guys get there. We like to play uh, I Spy with my little eye in the car. That's always helpful. And because the, the girls are so young, they can't necessarily say, you know, something beginning with the letter S. It's We start with colors. I spy something blue. And then, you know, we all pretend like, ooh, what could it be? You know, just to just to get them in the mood. Kids and distractions, like, it works wonders. Lastly, turn an empty tissue box into a worry box. Now, get your child to write or draw some of their worries on paper and sort of post them, in inverted commas, into this box. You know, like, let them get it out. You know, let them start expressing themselves in a way that can be a form of healing even for them, you know, so that they can sort, you guys can sit together, sort through the box and say, huh, what does this one mean? Talk about it, you know, walk through the whole process, building that safety, building that trust in your relationship with your child so that they're never afraid to come forward and say, sure, mom, actually, or your dad, this is what I've been feeling. They need to know that you're you're a reliable, you can listen, you know, you are, you're the kind of parent that won't judge them or won't bash them or won't gaslight them and make them feel like, ugh, they're just saying that you'll listen to them and understand what they're experiencing. If none of those 10 things that I just said didn't work, there's always therapy. Now, therapy is great because this is somebody who's a trained professional you know, who can recognize troubled emotions, thoughts, behaviors. Um, and they can better say, okay, cool, we need to focus on this, or this is, they can diagnose what type of anxiety it is. If it's something that needs medical attention, they can advise if it gets really out of control. Then there's cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, which teaches you different ways of thinking and behaving. It can really help you change how you react to things that may cause you to feel fear and anxiety. And, you know, this is essentially exposing you to what therapy truly is. It focuses on how you control your fears, how you react to things, you know, versus just avoiding and running away from situations. You now equip with the tools to deal with them more effectively. 
Acceptance and commitment therapy can also help with some anxiety disorders and it uses strategies such as mindfulness, goal setting, reducing discomfort and reducing anxiety. However, I would say the ideal place to start would be by contacting the South African Depression and Anxiety Group on 0800-567-567 in order to get professional help. If anything that I've said to you today is raising a bit of a question mark or you're raising an, a bit of an eyebrow, you've actually noticed these days that, no man, you know, my child has changed their behavior these past couple of weeks or months and I'm not really sure what to pin it on. And every time I ask, they say, no, everything's cool, I'm fine, nothing is wrong. But you are still suspicious or you may be just worried about them, as you should be. Then, again, 0800-567-567. The South African Depression and Anxiety Group will be of assistance. It's normal. It's going to happen. If it doesn't happen, then, hey, that's cool too. But in the case that it does Know that you can get help. Know that there are organizations out there that exist to assist you on this journey that you're going through. And most importantly, <laughs> check on yourself. Check on yourself. Am I okay? How am I actually doing? Have you been exercising your emotional muscles? Have you been taking your brain to the gym have you been taking your heart and your spirit to the gym? How are you making sure that mentally you're strong? Emotionally, you're strong. These are the things that one needs to consider. And there's nothing wrong with considering those things. They are important things to consider. That's why we talk about them here on Life with Libang. So I hope today has helped. Uh, I hope I haven't triggered anyone. But I also hope I've given you that that thing that you need to think about it and find the solution that'll work for you. If your kids are struggling with anxiety like mine are, they will be okay, I promise you. They will be okay. Sometimes it's not you. It's not something you've done to cause them to feel this way. It's just things of the world. But the best way that they can deal with these things or these matters when they come up is for them just to know that ah, I've got a parent in my corner who can walk me through this whole process. So with that being said, take the time to check on yourself, to check on your mental well-being. See if you're doing all right. If you're not, get the right help that you need. There's people out there that are willing to help. And if you ask yourself, how am I doing? And the answer is, oh, actually I'm doing okay. Then lucky you. I will see you next week right here on cliffcentral.com for another episode of Life with Lebang. Till then, love and light. Cliffcentral.com